And we've been journeying through the book of Philippians. I hope you've enjoyed the study. And as, as you saw this morning, we're getting ready to start a new series about the church. And of course, I think it's, it's a relevant time to talk about many of the things that, is, that, that are attacking the church that we're facing on a, uh, really on a weekly basis now. And uh, you pray for me in the days ahead is uh, I just want to follow the Lord's leading on what exactly that God would have for us to learn and how to strengthen ourselves as the church of the living God. Uh, but as we conclude this uh, series in the book of Philippians, of course, the, the main theme running through the book of Philippians is the matter of joy. Uh, you know, if you're saved tonight, can I tell you that when you got saved, that God moved within your life, and you should have the joy of the Lord. As long as you have the Lord, you have joy. And don't let anything rob you or take that joy away from you. Keep that joy in your lives. And so if you're able to tonight, let's stand out of respect for the Word of God. In Philippians chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 10, and we're going to read down for our text tonight to verse number 16. And so let's, let's read this responsibly. I'll read verse 10. You read verse 11. I'll read verse 12 until we get down to the verse 16. The Bible says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. I know both how to be abased and I know how to be to abound everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Pray that you'd bless the word of God. Lord, that is the most important thing that we need in our lives. Lord, may you help us as we come to the close of this letter to believers in Philippi many years ago, that you have preserved to our generation Lord, may you help us to see the heart of the apostle as he's writing from prison, as he's trying to encourage the dear saints of God. Now, Lord, may we be encouraged tonight. May we have the spirit that Paul is writing about, the spirit that he believed was there in the church in Philippi. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated tonight. I've chosen the thought tonight the spirit of giving. I think this is a tremendous passage and very applicable for our church. I think our church has this spirit as we see here, Paul thanking the church for having a spirit of giving and extending grace to him. He expresses, as we just read, his gratefulness for how they cared for him how they took care of him, how they 
even financially aided Paul to do the very work that God had called him to do. Uh, our church, as I've mentioned many times, you look down that hallway, God has blessed our church. And I think one of the reasons that he's blessing our church is because we currently support 59 missions work that is going on around the world. Some has already gone on today. Some of it, it's already the next day. But God will bless a church that not only is doing the work of the ministry in their Jerusalem, but will also bless those churches that carry the work because he says that ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And we are a church that's a part of that. And certainly as Paul was thanking them and as Paul was grateful to them, can I tell you tonight that God is thankful for a church like Bible Baptist Church that wants to help to see the work of God go forward. And so as he writes, notice he mentions this spirit of giving. And he begins with the thought of their spirit of care. The spirit of care. I want you to see, because he begins by stating, and I love the phrase, he was rejoicing in the Lord greatly. I mean, this man was not just happy in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord. He was rejoicing in the Lord greatly. Uh, he was very happy and thankful for their care. Notice that their care, first of all, was a flourishing care. The Bible again says in verse number 10, it says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished. Notice the word, again. He says that the care that you had for me, he said it is something that is flourishing. The word care here means to have an understanding. They understood the Apostle Paul. They understood what God had called him to do, and they wanted to be a part of that. They felt that in their hearts. They cherished the very same views. Folks, look, that's one thing I love about a Bible-believing church. When people ask us, why do you do things the way you do them? I just take the book and show them that this is the way God would have it to be done. It's not up to us to decide what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. There are different methods. Maybe sometimes, uh, like for instance, you can't necessarily find the words vacation Bible school in the Word of God, but you can clearly see the principles of training up a child and teaching them the Word of God, allowing them to come to the Lord. And so here's these folks that their care for Paul was flourishing. Uh, they were cherishing the same views that Paul had. They were directing their minds to the same thing. They were seeking the same interest that Paul had, and that was to see people saved. They were concerned for the work of God. They had an interest in everything that Paul was doing. And it, look, we were talking before the service in my office, and certainly it's a different day that we live in. One of the things that uh, I don't struggle with this, I just sometimes am starting to feel older and older as days go by, but I'm going to tell you, I personally don't believe that there will be anything ever to replace a personal touch one-on-one -on -one with somebody, talking to them, and, and opening the Bible, look here, looking into their eyes, and hearing what people have to say. But we have folks every week that tune in by way of Facebook Live. 
Now, I'm not a Facebook person. I don't have Facebook. I'm not up here to preach on Facebook tonight. But I'm telling you, every week, hundreds of people watch our services that otherwise probably would never hear the truth. Folks, we have to understand that, that we need to have the same views, that we need to seek the same interests, and that is that people would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's talking here to these, these, uh, those in Philippi, the Philippians, that he, they were interested in Paul's needs, the cares that Paul had. Can I remind you who the Philippians were? They were people just like you and me that were saved by the grace of God and they made up what was the church at Philippi. Just like we are the church known as Bible Baptist Church. See, this is shown as, as they show their care for him. He uses the phrase, hath flourished again. When, when God puts those words together, those verbs with the word again, it means to sprout up again, to make it green again. Uh, maybe there had been a time where uh, they were giving, but maybe something along the way. And I see this from time to time, even with some of our folks, where things happen and, and circumstances change, maybe a strain on, on the finances at home, and sometimes people get away from doing things. But listen, can I tell you that we need to get back to where things are starting to sprout up, that things are green again. Folks, the only way that's going to happen is, as we saw in the book of Malachi this morning, is as we are obeying God. We have the same view that God does. We have the same interest that the Lord does, and that is to meet the needs so that the gospel would go forth from this place like it was going forth from Philippi. So what is Paul doing? Paul is a man, a man of God, who was rejoicing in how this church had taken care of him, not once, but they had taken care of him repeatedly. And he, that's why he was rejoicing in the Lord greatly. Because it, this wasn't a one-time thing. He, he was not just expressing this in word, but he was expressing it in deed. He loved them, and they had a love for him. It's the old adage, look here, put your money where your mouth is. A lot of times people say, well, yeah, I'd like to do that. Well, what's keeping you from it? Sometimes when I talk to people about getting saved, I'll say to them, if they're following along and if I believe that the Lord is working and the Holy Spirit is showing them and identifying that they realize they're a sinner and that they need to be saved, I'll say to them, what's keeping you from being saved? And I've had a few folks that have said to me, well, nothing. Well, then would you like to trust Christ as your Savior? And these folks, listen, they showed how much they cared for Paul. Repeatedly, they took care of his needs and the things that he had in his life. And so it was a flourishing care. But notice along the lines of flourishing, it was a faithful care. Go back to verse number 10. The Bible says, he says that your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Now this church had become a faithful supporter of Paul. Look, I don't ever want our missionaries, those that we support, I don't ever want them to wonder, hey, I wonder if Bible Baptist Church is going to send their support to me this month. I don't ever want them to worry about that. I just want to be faithful. You know what the Lord's looking for is in a steward that they would be found faithful. Uh, you know how you can be faithful? By being in your place. 
by doing what the Lord would have you to do. And these people were faithful in supporting Paul, taking care of him. They agreed with what Paul was doing. Well, what was he doing? Paul was evangelizing. He was sharing the gospel. Remember, the Bible tells us that he said, I'm free from the blood of all men. That means that everywhere Paul went, he told people about Jesus. He witnessed to them. And not only was Paul evangelizing, but Paul actually was planting churches as he went along the way. As God began to give him a harvest of souls, God began to impress upon him, hey, listen, here's a group of folks, and they're looking for a place to meet. They're looking for someone to lead them. And Paul was ordaining elders. He was helping these churches. And so because they agreed, those in Philippi, because they said, hey, listen, we, we, we believe this. We see it in the Word of God. This isn't Paul's endeavor. This is the way God would have things to be done. They said, look, we want to get behind him. We want to support him. And so you know what they did financially? They backed him. Now, certainly they prayed for him, but they got behind him. They supported him. Look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 16. He says here, for even in Thessalonica, Paul says, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Warren Wiersbe years ago made this statement, ministry takes place when divine resources flow through human channels to the glory of God. You know what that means? God wants to use you. God wants to use me. And it's not necessarily how much, but it's being a part of the work of God. And God gives us clear instructions how we need to be faithful in all areas and to not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, the Bible says, we shall reap if we faint not. A great verse, look at 1 Corinthians. You should know this verse, but I love it. My, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen through Vacation Bible School, but folks, I'm going to tell you something. I believe in it because I can find the principles in the Word of God. I, I, I want to support that. I want to be like those Christians at Philippi. They didn't get weary in giving to Paul. They didn't say, oh boy, I mean, are we going to have to do this month in and month out? Are we going to have to support this guy? I mean, after all, I mean, he's just, he, he just seems like he's using us. No, no, no. They saw the fruit. They saw what was going on through the ministry of Paul. And because of that, they continued to flourish. They continued to grow because they got behind the work of God. And somebody said, the sign of a wayward heart is when we do not give our best. The songwriter wrote, give of your best to the master. You know, it's easy to give God our leftovers, is it not? But you know, God's not interested in our leftovers. The Bible uses words like the first fruits. God wants your best. I, I was reminded of that when I was in the state of Maryland and we were serving in a church and there was a, 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 a pastor that was going to have a startup work not too far up the line from us, up the highway there. And, and uh, somehow God had him cross paths with the pastor that I was working for and we, we met with him, and he spent most time with the pastor that I was serving under. And uh, I remember that, that the pastor's son and myself 
we were in the building, we were doing some things on the back part of the building, and we got a phone call from the pastor, and he said to the other assistant pastor, he said, I want you to go to the print center, and I want you to get the copier that's in there, and I want you to load it up in the truck. And uh, so the, the staff member, who was the son of the pastor, grandson of the, of the senior pastor, said to him, what for? And he said, I just want you to put it in the truck. And so, look, I didn't argue. I, I, whatever I'm told, I, I, so I, we went and we loaded it up. Come to find out that he wasn't going to let this pastor use it. He was going to give it to him. And I, re, I remember that the assistant pastor, who was quite a bit younger than I was, he said to his father, he said, uh, Dad, he said, uh, surely you don't mean the copier that's in the copier room uh, the, the print center back there, he says, that's our brand new copier. Why don't we give him the one, and he named the other room where there was another copier. He said, why don't we give him that? And by the way, the, the other one wasn't a bad copier. It wasn't a real old copier. It really was making good copies. But he thought, hey, listen, why don't we give him that one and keep the brand new one? And his dad said, no. He said, if we're going to give something to the Lord, we're going to give our best. And I thought, wow. I learned something that day, that God wants our best. You know, that's what happened to the nation of Israel. You see this in the Old Testament, how they got to the place in their lives and in their hearts where they were, and I know this probably sounds foreign to you, but they got tired of bringing their offerings to the Lord. They really did. Look what the Bible says here in Malachi 1.13, because they started giving God less than their best. Look at the wording here. I'm not making it up. Chapter 1, verse 13 Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it, and ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and ye brought that which was torn and lame and the sick, thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? You know what God's saying? I don't want your junk. I want your best. When God gives us something, does God give us junk? Does God give us leftovers? No, God gives us. By the way, God gave his only begotten son. Can't think of a better thing. Nothing in this world will compare to what God gave to us and what God expects of us, which is what the Phili uh, those in Philippi, those Christians there, they said, look, we want to give God our best and we want to do it as we serve him, and as we give to him, and the way that they gave, they gave to Paul, they cared for him, and it flourished. You know why? Because they were faithful. There was a spirit of care, but notice, secondly, there was a spirit of contentment. Now, listen to this. It follows on the heels of them caring for the apostle. Now, again, it's not all about money. They met to his needs, the things that he had in his life. By the way, it, it does a lot for the man of God to know that there are people that believe in what he's doing. You know, from time to time, it's okay in church to say amen, a holy grunt, something, just so the pastor knows, number one, you're alive, number two, that you agree with what he's preaching. It's okay to say amen. This isn't a Catholic church. You can actually say something in here, all right? But it's a good thing when God's people agree and there is a contentment. Look at verse number 11. Look what the Bible says here. It says, Not that I speak in respect of want. 
What a great statement. Paul says, for I have learned, and whatsoever state I am, therewith to be what? Content. Look at verse 12. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere, and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So contentment, as somebody put it, is not something that you can find. Contentment, you know what it is? It's an attitude. It's an attitude. We, we live in America where we have everything and yet we're still not happy. People's garages are full of stuff. Three, four cars in the driveway, a boat on the side of the house, and they're miserable because there's no contentment. See, it's an attitude. And those in Philippi, those believers, noticed that their contentment, it was a learned state. They were content, just like Paul. Paul was content. It didn't matter what condition. Paul says, I've just learned a few things over the years that in whatever state I am, in other words, if I'm in a jail, if I'm not in a jail, if I'm in the deep, if I'm not in the deep, you know, if I've got a thorn in my flesh, if I don't have a thorn in my flesh, Whatever's going on in my life, he says, I've just learned to be content. Look what Chesterton said. He said, true contentment is the power of getting out of any situation all that there is in it. Getting all out of a situation. Look, you know what my mind goes back to when I hear what Chesterton said? Paul and Silas sitting in that jail. And it's midnight. And instead of moaning and groaning and griping and crying like babies, they began to sing. And knowing Paul and Silas, they probably were like me. They probably were singing off key. But they were making a joyful noise to the Lord. You know, I find that it's a great idea to have this spirit of contentment, but it's a learned state. Paul says, look, it, it doesn't matter what I find myself in, whatever situation. Look at 2 Timothy 1.12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, Paul said, I am not ashamed. For I know whom, do you notice that? It doesn't say what. It says, I know whom I have believed. Do you know who you believed? Look, we don't believe in a church, we believe in a person, and his name is Jesus. And the Bible says here, he says, I'm persuaded that he, not it, he is able to keep me, to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. No matter what situation Paul was in, Paul was content because he knew that the Lord would never forsake him. Look at the Bible says, Hebrews 13, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. What a great thought. These teenagers that are going to camp, pray for them. But they are going to think that the Lord has forsaken them when Brother Kenny and Miss Becky take their cell phones for a whole week. The Lord has left me. He has forsaken me. I can't look at my phone. I can't. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Paul, when he was sitting in prison, he had nothing but the Lord. 
And you know what he was? He was content. Because contentment doesn't come in things. Contentment's an attitude about a person, about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, look, it doesn't matter. Someone once said, I had no shoes and often complained until I met a man that had no feet. If you're ever feeling bad and you feel like maybe God has forsaken you or God doesn't love you, or woe is me, you got the Eeyore syndrome, maybe you stood in a line for Build-A-Bear for three hours and you didn't get a bear. Can I give you some good medicine? Are you ready? This is coming from Dr. Keeley. And it's a free prescription. Get in your car and go to the hospital and make a visit. And you're going to come out of that hospital realizing how very good you have it. God is good all the time. Folks, I'm going to tell you, there is great contentment with the Lord. Paul said, doesn't matter where I'm at, what's going on. Listen, folks, no matter how good or how bad Paul found himself in these circumstances, nothing in his life would compare to the joy and the glory that would be his one day when he got to heaven. And by the way, if you're saved tonight, heaven is already your home. You're just waiting to depart from this old world. But the Bible says, for our light affliction, God says, look, it's just a little thing. He said, it's but for a moment, it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen, they're eternal. Folks, look, we walk by faith and not by sight. Let's be content with such things as you have. Now, look, it was something that Paul had to realize. It was a learned state. Paul found himself. You know what that means? Maybe there was a day in Paul's life that he wasn't Mr. Contentment. But you hear what he said? I've learned. You know what God's trying to do? He's trying to teach you something. Just be content with what you have. Don't always be looking to add something, to have more. Those things don't bring happiness. Look, contentment is a learned state but it's also something that is a limber state. Now, what I mean by that is, look at verse number 12 again. He says, I know how to be abased. But I know the word abased, brought low, right? You know, God, look, God, I can tell you this firsthand. God has a way of humbling us. I've been there many times. Probably will be there again and again and again. Paul says, look, I, I know what it's like to be abased, and I know how to abound. I, you know what he's saying? I know what it's like to be down in the valley, and I know what it's like to be on the mountaintop. He says, I know what it's like to be full, and I know what it's like to be hungry. Paul's saying, look, it's just like somebody said years ago, and you won't find this in Matthew 5, but the extra beatitude is, blessed are the flexible. You know, in other words, God is always working in our lives. The word abase means, again, to bring low, to bring into a humble condition. It's like the story that I heard about this little bitty boy, and he, he wanted so badly, he wanted $100. 
And he began, because he wanted it so badly, he began to pray to God, and he prayed for a whole week for this $100, but nothing happened. So the little boy decided that he was going to write a letter to God requesting that God would send him the $100. So he wrote the letter, he put postage on it, and he put it in the post office slot by his house. The postmaster was going through the mail and saw the letter that was addressed to God. And so for whatever reason, the postmaster decided that he was going to send it, forward it on to the White House. So the White House got it. Somehow it ended up, amazingly, on the desk of the President of the United States. He opened the letter, began to read it. He was very impressed. He was touched. He was even kind of amused that this little boy that wanted $100 prayed and asked God. He didn't get it, so he was writing a letter. And so what happened is, is that the president instructed his aide to take the return address and send the boy $5. Now the boy prayed for 100 So he thought, the president thought, well, that boy would probably be thrilled to get $5. Any little boy would. The boy got it, and indeed, he was delighted by the money, and so he sat down with that $5 there laying beside him, and he wrote another letter. It was a thank you note this time. And here's what it read. And I'm reading, Dear God, thank you very much for sending the money. However, I noticed that for some reason you had to send it through Washington. And as usual, they took most of it. <laughs> now, instead of being, and by the way, that's true, you know. They'll take the 95 and give you five. That's what they do. But here's the little boy. Let me ask you this. How much money did he have before he got the $5 bill? But after he got it, he had $5. Instead of being happy with the five, he wanted 95 more. Is that not human nature? We're, many times we're not content. And you study the life of the Apostle Paul, not just here in the book of Philippians, but over the course of his life, you know as well as I do that Paul had been in prison, Paul had been beaten, Paul had been flogged, Paul had been stoned and left for dead, Paul had been persecuted, and there were other times in his life, watch this, where he wasn't in the valley, but there were other times where Paul was, he was actually abounding. There were times where Paul was being protected. Remember how when he was let down over the wall? how his life was spared. There were times that Paul was all alone, and there were other times that Paul was cared for. He had friends around him. But you know what he's saying is, in all my life, in all the circumstances and situations that I've been in, he says, I have found that in every situation, therewith, whatever it is, is to be content. If we could just learn that spirit, you see, that's what the church in Philippi had. They had a spirit of contentment. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, godliness with contentment. Godliness with what? Contentment is great what? It's great gain. What a great formula, folks. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You want to know how to please God. Look, it says we brought nothing into this world and it's certain. They can, they can back the hearse up 
at your funeral. They can fill your, uh, you know, King Tut's funeral. His, his whole thing was filled up with all the, the, the treasures of life. But guess what? You go find that, that, that place where they put King Tut and all that stuff is still there unless somebody found it and stole it. You can't take it with you when you go. He says, I brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out, having food and raiment. Well, look here, aren't you glad that you had a square meal today? I'm looking around, most of you have clothes on. He says, look, that's all we really need. You know what that is? The necessities of life. You know, that's all God has ever promised is that he would take care of us, right? And that's what we see is when we are taken care of, just like somebody said, the richest person. The richest person is not the one who has the most, it's the one that needs the least. That's who the richest person is. Because he realizes that his contentment is in the Lord. It's not in the things of this world. So Paul says, look, I'm rejoicing in the Lord greatly. He says, and here's why, because you have had a spirit of care for me. And he says, you have a spirit like God's given to me, a spirit of contentment. But then notice, thirdly, he writes about a spirit of confidence. A spirit of confidence. Look at verse 13. He says, I can do, and I know you guys know this verse, I can do how many things through Christ? All things. Talk about confidence. Notice his confidence in his strength, talking about doing all things through Christ in every area of his life, that the same is true for us. Look, can I tell you, is, is your God Paul's God, yes or no? Well, if Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, and he knew God like you know God, then guess what? You can do and I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notice that the strength comes from the Lord. He's the one that provides the strength. Look at Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said unto me, now look at these words, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my what? Anybody else here excited about ailments? You know, cancer, things that you're dealing, you know, look folks, many of us have infirmities that are common in our day. You pray for Brother Gabriel Smith, uh, I was talking to him, he's one of our dear church members, he was battling cancer and he's, he's had the stem cell replacements and I, I haven't, they were here for a Sunday, they haven't been back in a while and I called and I've been trying to stay away because pretty much the doctors have been trying to keep him out of population because of what he's gone through, especially with the stem cell replacement and Marie, his wife, she told me on the phone, she said, Pastor, just pray because he's getting ready to start all of his vaccinations and I said, what exactly is he going through? If you remember, whether it's you, if that's too long ago to remember, or your children, all those vaccinations that children have to get, all the polio and all that type of stuff when they're little kids, Brother Gabriel has to go through all of that all over again. Because all the cells that he has now, none of that is in his system, so his body can't fight off any diseases. So he's having to go through all of that. I mean, folks, pray for him because that's, that is a, an undertaking 
that honestly he needs us to be praying for him and, and understand tonight that when you think about this confidence that Paul says, look, I, I just have understood that I can, even if it's something I'm going through, I sat with Brother Ken a couple days ago and Brother Ken said, Pastor, pray for me. He said, it's getting worse. Brother David was there and he said, I can't even hardly get up. He said, I, I really wish I could. And I want to thank many of you that have been by Brother Ken's house and have spent time and and gone by and just, just been a friend to him. And he's a dear member of our church. And he just needs us to pray for him and, and just remember him. And maybe time to time go by. But Brother Ken said, Pastor, he says, I, I don't really understand. And he does it with such a great spirit and attitude. He doesn't complain about it. I, I don't mean this bad, folks. But seriously, I can't honestly sometimes hardly look at Brother Ken's legs without it making me hurt. And, and he's going through that with such grace because God said, my grace is sufficient. He, he, look, my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know what? God, God wants to, us to come to the point where we have no strength left to where we finally have to say like a little child, God, I can't do anything else. I need you. Paul's confidence, he look, look at this. He says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in necessities. I take pleasure in persecutions. I take pleasure in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I, I don't understand that other than I know that it is God. It is His strength. It is His grace. Ephesians 3.16, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Look, our ability must not be in ourselves. Our ability must be in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of the Lord. See, Paul says, look, uh, my confidence is not misplaced. It's not in myself. There's nothing I can do that God is the one that has been using me and God has been bringing these things into my life, whether it's on the mountaintop or it's down in the valley. I've found a way to be confident and it has certainly been a help to me because I know that I have people that love me and that agree with God, what God has called me to do. And so notice that not only did he have confidence in the strength of the Lord, but letter B, he just continued to do his work. The Bible says in verse number 14, notwithstanding, ye have done well, ye have well done. And he says and ye, that ye did communicate with my affliction. They, they continue to help Paul in the work. The Bible says in John 6, 29, Jesus said, this is the work of God. If you sometimes wonder, what exactly is the work of God? Jesus very plainly said, I'll tell you what the work of God is. Here it is, that ye believe on him whom, has sent, whom he has sent. You know what the work of God is? To point people to Jesus. To share the gospel of Jesus Christ. To tell others. And that's what Paul, that's why he was expressing his appreciation for them. Because they were aiding him. They were helping him. They were encouraging him to get the gospel to those that had never heard before. See, he was continuing in the work. And then notice letter C. 
There was a spirit of confidence because they, those in Philippi, were communicating with their gifts. They were communicating. Look at verse number 15. The Bible says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, he says, No church communicate with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. You know how many churches at that time was supporting Paul? One. Now look, there's nothing wrong with missionaries coming through, sharing their burden, trying to raise support. They've got a family. They're trying to do a work for God. They're not going to live in the Holiday Inn and, and, and build some uh, empire for themselves. They're going to do the work of God. But folks, we see here that Paul says, look, I love the fact that when nobody else stood with me, when nobody else wanted to back me, that those that were in Philippi said, look, we see it in the Word of God, and we are going to get behind you, Paul. We're going to help you financially. We're going to support you. We're going to pray for you. And we see this many times is we need to do the same thing for missionaries in this day and hour. Folks, we have got, God is allowed, and a lot of times I just pray about it. God brings things together. We have got some phenomenal missionaries that are going to be coming through this church that are brand new missionaries. Say, Pastor, how many missionaries do you think we could take on? We're not made out of money. No, but God is. I don't know. I don't bring them here so that we can say we have this many missionaries that we support. But I'll tell you this, if God brings them and God burdens us to get behind them, then guess what we ought to do? Get behind them. There's a young man that's coming. He's from Syria, and he's going back to Syria with the gospel. There are some exciting folks that are going to be coming with burdens that God has given to them. And you know what it's going to take? It's going to take us, just like those in Philippi, to say, we're behind you, Pastor. We're behind these people. We believe in what God has called them to do, and we want to support that. We want to be a part of that so that the gospel can go beyond Pembroke Pines and beyond Miramar and beyond Davie and beyond Cooper City, and it can go to the regions beyond. You see, they were communicating their gifts. Some of you, not all of you, because the Bible talks about those spiritual gifts, the pneumatikos. We don't all have the same spiritual gifts. But some of you really do honestly have the spiritual gift of giving. Now, that doesn't get other people off the hook because the Bible teaches equal giving, equal sacrifice. But many times, God will touch the hearts of certain individuals. And you know what I see many times? It's the people that don't have anything are the ones that honestly are the ones that have the biggest giving heart in the churches. You say, how does that work? I can't explain it. I just know that God moves on the heart, that God provides. God always guides when he provides. It's a wonderful thing. People come up, pastor, you know, God put it on my heart to do this, and we started to do it, and honestly, we didn't have the money. We didn't know what we were going to do, and you'll never guess what happened. Yeah, I might not guess, but I can pretty well tell you I got a good idea what's, what happened is God came through because you know why? God's got a bigger shovel than you do. Well, see, we think a lot of times, well, I gave him my, 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 my few fishes and few loaves. God ought to be happy with that. Remember what the widow gave? She gave two mites, but to her, it was all. She gave everything she had. See, they were doing the same thing. They were communicating their gifts. Look at verse 16. The Bible says here in this last verse tonight, even in Thessalonica, Paul says, you sent once and again 
unto my necessity. What is he saying here? He says that even when I went to Thessalonica, he says the church in Philippi, the believers there, he says they sent money, they sent to meet his financial needs. Now, when you think about the spirit that Paul's describing, look, it hasn't always been that way among God's people. Many times you see in the Old Testament that the nation of Israel didn't always have this kind of spirit, and the truth is there's many Christians today that don't have this very same kind of spirit, but if you look back historically, there was a time where the nation of Israel was carried off into captivity. And as you study the Word of God, here's what you find is that after 70 years of being in captivity, they began to make their way back into the land. Now, not all of them returned, but those that did, the Bible records in a couple of books in the Old Testament that they began to rebuild the temple. They began to do the work of God, to rebuild that which was destroyed by the enemies of the, of the people of God. But interesting, as you, as you watch that unfold after the captivity, something happened and the work of God stopped for a period of time. It was progressing and it stopped. And as you study that, here's what you find is that there was a man of God in the Old Testament by the name of Haggai. And Haggai stood in his day, and here's what he did. He admonished the people, encouraged them to finish what God put in their heart, what God would have them to do. And I want you to see these verses. Look here in your notes. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and of Joshua, the son of uh, Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste. You know what he's saying here? Look here, let me just stop for a second. He's saying you're taking care of yourselves. you got a place to live, yet the house of God lies in ruins. Uh, don't you see how important it is? Folks, look, I'm going to tell you something. If there's one thing we need to establish more than anything else, it's our worship with the Lord, a place that we can assemble ourselves together, that we can get back in touch with God's will for our lives and God's will for our churches. Now, let's follow on. He says, now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, this is coming from Haggai, God says to them, consider your ways. Ye have sown much. And bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye have not filled, you're not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put in, put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And what God is saying to us tonight is: look, are we a church? that has the right kind of spirit, the spirit of giving the way those in Philippi did, giving to God's work. I'm going to tell you, you study it out, here's what you're going to find. As we give to the Lord, I'm going to tell you that giving is connected to the heart. It is directly connected to the heart. When we give, what happens is we increase our love for the work of God. That's what happened in Philippi. As Paul began to present it, Paul began to plant churches and see people saved, those people realize, hey, listen, this is a worthy cause. This is something that's of God. 
We want to get behind this. We want to support this. And when we increase our love for God's work, guess what happens? We continue to give. And when we continue to give, you know what's going to happen? We're going to continue to grow. You see, the Bible says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is. I'm not going to ask you tonight, but I can tell you this. When you find where your treasure is, you know what you're going to find? Your heart. Where's your heart tonight? We should have the spirit of giving. Would you bow your heads with me tonight? What a testimony. It's interesting that Paul concludes this letter that we call four chapters of the book of Philippians. He concludes this letter by saying, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. And here's why. Because you have cared for me, the work of God, seeing people saved. When no one else would support the work, you have been faithful to do that. And they've done that. Look, they did it with such contentment. Paul says, the reason I've been able to do what I've been able to do isn't because of me. It's because of the confidence that I have in the Lord and because of your communicating to me, your praying for me. Can I tell you tonight that there are people that are depending on us to support them, to back them, to pray for them. Not because they desire our prayers, but because they desire to see God do something in this world today. Tonight, the invitation is simple. Your question to the Lord should be, God, do I have the spirit to give? I hope you've sensed tonight it's not all about money. It's about a spirit. Do we have that kind of spirit? Lord, bless the invitation. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. I'm so thankful for this church and the way that they've had such a wonderful spirit. May we always have that spirit. Lord, I pray that you bless this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you